John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkshin. Gents, how are you doing on this Monday evening, the night before Halloween? Very good, good, very good. Good, good. Looking forward to uh, Halloween. You know, it's a fun holiday, so that'll be good. Uh, it's supposed to be cold tomorrow night for all the trick-or-treaters, but uh, we shall see. And, of course, you got the high school football playoffs kicking off this weekend as well. So we are definitely now uh, definitely in, in fall mode, and uh, we're inching closer and closer to um, Thanksgiving and wrapping up the season. So it's it's hard to believe. We talk about this all the time the three of us, but you blink and it's over. I mean, we've already covered eight weeks worth of games between the Patriots college football and high school. And now it's like, we're, it's, we're ramping up busy season. And this year it goes a little longer because we're going to have full coverage of army Navy as well. So um, coming down the stretch though here, fellas, I uh, do want to remind you that we are brought to you by mortgage, right? Give our good friend, give our good friend, I should say, Herb Devine a call 781-254-2846. Herb and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends. You can also email him at situate.mortgageright.com. With over 25 years of experience in the lending industry, Herb Devine is one of the best in the business. If you are in the market to sell your current home or you are looking to purchase your first home and you need an experienced voice in the lending industry, well, that's Herb Devine. As someone who's a realtor myself and is in the business, you meet a lot of good people in the business. But very few are pros like Herb Divine. Again, give him a call at 781-254-2846 or email him at situate.mortgageright.com. All right, gents. We're going to start with the Patriots because that's always a fun topic around these parts. Stone, you and I gave our opinions yesterday on the post-game show with Lions, but um we'll give abbreviated opinions here. We'll let Kirchin give us his thoughts on yet another loss for the New England Patriots. And I think it's safe to say after yesterday's 31-17 loss to the Miami Dolphins, which dropped the Patriots to 17-42 and 42 all-time in Miami. It's hard to believe. But after yesterday's loss, I think it's safe to say this team is done. They're not going to make the playoffs. You are now officially entering playing out the string mode. Of course, tomorrow is the NFL trade deadline. But as we've said all along, I wouldn't expect anything. I'd be surprised if they made any kind of a move at this point, real quick, your thoughts on yesterday, and can we expect something tomorrow? We'll get to that in a sec, but I just want to recap the game real quick. Adam, go ahead. Yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, I was <clears> – I don't know. It's – it's the, the, the margin of error is so small for them. Again, like they don't – they can't – really score quick that often because they just don't have explosive players on offense. So if you get by two touchdowns down, then you start to have to be basically perfect to come back and win. And Miami's a good team. Look, I mean, it's not like they lost to a bad team. Miami's good. They've got plenty of explosive players if you want to compare it that way. And, um, and two is playing pretty well. So, you know, I just felt like, you know, after a certain point, it wasn't realistic for them to come back. And they really have to look at this next offseason, you know, what they can do to be a little bit more explosive on offense because they can't make everything a 10-play drive. It's just – it's not realistic. So, look, yes, the season's over. Um, the thing now is, yeah, you're playing out the string, but with the trade deadline tomorrow – 
and John, we talked about this yesterday. What are they really going to do? They're not going to do much. Um, look, the Mac Jones rumors are all fun and they're funny, but that's not going to happen. So now you're looking at a team that's literally going to play out the string as is. And, and mediocrity is the worst spot to be in the NFL. So this might be an even uglier and, and rougher last two months of the season down the stretch. I honestly think they might win four games, you know, if they're lucky at this point. Um, it's bad. And uh, Mac Jones regrets yesterday. The throw and the decision were terrible. Um, he's due for, you know, one of those almost a game now. We learned that Buffalo was the anomaly. That was a good spot for the Bills. Um, the more I thought about it, I think Matt Milano being out was really the biggest key in that game. He's yeah, the Davis White. Yeah, yeah, and him. Um, so that was, again, that was an anomaly. Um, you now don't have your best receiver. He's out for the year. Uh, Mike Onwenu, Kyle Duggar, and Matt Slater all spoke today. And you could hear it in their voices. They they know what these next two months are going to be like. It, it's, a, it's a team that I, I can't believe they're in this position. I never thought it would be this bad or get this bad. Um, but, yeah, man, it's going to be – it's going to be a long two months, and I hope people aren't waiting for something big tomorrow because I don't think anything is going to happen. Maybe Josh Uche, but he's hurt too. So uh, you have no, no, you have nothing of value that people want. Um, you have a head coach that he's stubborn in his ways. He's not going to the, – the term selling is not in his vocabulary. So um, get ready for more of this, you know, heading down the stretch. Yeah, but I don't know what people are expecting, though. Like, the NFL trade deadline typically isn't that busy. You had a trade today between the Giants and the Seahawks. Giants sent defensive tackle Leonard Williams to the Seahawks for a second-round pick. But that is probably going to be the biggest deal we're going to see tomorrow. So, And that happened today. And, yes, we've had some trades over the course of the past month. But, again, I'm not sure if you're Bill Belichick – Yes, you want to try to shop the UFAs and see if you could get something for them. But I'm not sure that if if you're the Patriots right now, you're going to get the return on investment that you want. You're not going to get the return you want, realistically speaking. What good is a fifth or a sixth-round pick going to do you for a Hunter Henry next year? Yeah, could you get a player there? Sure. And, of course, someone can point to Tom Brady and pick 199 of the sixth round and say, well, they got Tom Brady. Yeah, well, that's going to go down as the greatest pick of all time, the greatest six-round pick of all time, and it's going to go down as the greatest gift of all time because, let's face it, while there have been some good six-round draft picks through the years, that doesn't happen. That happens maybe once every 10 to 15 years if you're lucky and you don't get Tom Brady. My point is they could shop those guys, but what does the rest of the league think of those guys? And that's where the value piece comes in. If the rest of the league doesn't think that they're worth anything, then you're not going to get the return. So you might as well hold on to them and move on. And I get the thought process, stockpile picks, you you punt on this season, and you hope you end up with a top five pick and possibly take either a franchise quarterback or franchise left tackle. All that sounds good. But I'm going to remind you that being in the middle is better than being in the bottom. And even I, I'm guilty of this. I drank the let's tank for Drake May bullshit a few weeks ago. And then when I stepped back and thought about it, I'm like, why am I going along with this nonsense? I know better. Why am I believing this stupid narrative around here 
that three and fourteen this season is going to be good for this football team. There's no guarantee that whoever you pick in the top five next year is going to be what you're hoping for. And again, and I keep saying it, and it's a cautionary tale, and we talked about this last week, right? Look how long it took the Buffalo Bills to find the right guy after Jim Kelly. Look how long it took the Miami Dolphins. And we still don't know if two was the right guy. We think Josh Allen is, right? So my point is, when you have a generational talent at that position, look at the Packers. The Packers had quarterback stability for 30 years with Favre and Rodgers. Jordan Love is not the guy. And I know that Packer fans don't want to hear that, but that's the truth. Did we all think he was the guy after two weeks? Yeah. And boy, were we wrong. They've lost five in a row since, and he's looked like absolutely dog poop. So to me, you can want Drake May, and I get it. I'd rather be in the middle, picking in the 13 to 15 range, and mortgage some of the future to trade up and get a Drake May than to end up 3-14 and and getting a Drake May. And it's going to cost you something more if you're in the middle, but at least you're competitive. You're not competitive if you kick a punt on the rest of the season, in my opinion. So would it be nice to see them get something tomorrow for a couple of these guys? Yeah. But I think what you're seeing out there is the reality. Teams just don't value what they have. So unless you're willing to trade a Duggar, Uche's probably your best trade asset. Maybe you move him. Forget about Bourne. No one's going to trade for him now. Hunter Henry, no one's interested. Mike Kosicki, eh, no one's interested. They all got scared when they heard of Stone's proclamation of 12 touchdowns. The bottom line, <laughs> the bottom line is I just don't think what they have is appealing to teams. I just feel like and we have ESPN updates. Oh, sorry. Uh, I just feel like I don't think it's ever a good idea to tank because, like, no. I just feel like if you – And it's hard to do in football. It's hard to do in football. And when you start to accept losing, that can be a hard thing to get rid of. Yep. You want you want your guys to always think that they're capable of winning. And where where wherever the – the tanking happens if it's a coach thing, if it's a front office thing. I just think it's it's a dangerous thing to do. And once you get there, it's a lot harder to climb out of than people really expect or know. It's just like once you start losing like that on purpose, it, it can be hard to get even back to the middle of the pack. And you're right that you look at so many teams – who didn't have the guy at quarterback and kept picking in the top five year after year. I mean, it, it there's no automatic – as good as these I, – I think these college quarterbacks are good players, the ones being talked about like Williams and May and uh, Sanders and guys like that. They're good players. But you don't know if any of them are really the answer. So to tank a whole season just to get one of those guys, I just question whether or not it would actually work. And I think – it just sends the wrong message to your team. Yeah, look, I don't think they're going to tank intentionally. But if you look at the schedule now, games that we call winnable, they might just end up losing because of a lack of talent. So you might end up stumbling in to that top three, top five range just because you're not that good. Again, Bill Belichick will never intentionally tank. But look, Denver on Christmas Eve, that's not winnable anymore. No. Or, or – as we thought it was. Even Indianapolis and Germany yeah. in a couple of weeks isn't winnable. I think Sunday's winnable, but but that's a good team. They just yeah. – I don't think they're well coached. The commanders can come in here and win. Yeah, they have edge rushers that could easily get to Mac Jones. So, uh, they, like you said, this was this Sunday 
isn't necessarily, you know, quote-unquote winnable. You still have to go to Buffalo on New Year's Eve. You might have Aaron Rodgers here for the last week of the year against the Jets. So, look, are they going to intentionally tank? No, Bill Belichick will never do that, even if Robert Kraft asked him to. But at this point, they might stumble into it. Yeah, and they'll have a lot of company, though. I think there's enough bad teams with Chicago, Arizona, the Giants, them. They're, they're going to have company. They're going to have competition for those picks. And and I and like any other draft, if you want a franchise quarterback, you're going to have to pay for it if you need to move up. It's not going to come cheap. It's going to require future compensation. And if they're not willing to do it, it isn't going to happen. Despite all that, though, I'm still not sold that they move on from Mac Jones because this has always been – a, a fiscally conservative organization. Forget about the money they spent in the spring of 2021 and some of the spending that took place this past spring. They've always been fiscally conservative. And the reality is, despite the fact that they're going to have a bunch of money to spend this offseason, Mac Jones is a cheap option at quarterback for them. Now, they don't have to pick up the fifth-year option, and they don't have to make that decision until May. But he is a cheap option for them. They could run it back with him as much as some Patriot fans don't want to hear that. That's more of a reality than people think. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect much tomorrow. You know, like I said, I know some Patriots fans are probably clamoring for it because they're hoping for a tank, but don't expect much of anything tomorrow. And, uh, and you know, John Lyons brought this up. He'd like to see them do something with an eye to the future, i.e. next year. But, again, they're not going to give up a first or a second round pick for Jerry Judy. And quite frankly, I wouldn't either. Jerry Judy to me at this point is what he is. I'm not trading a high draft pick for him. So at the end of the day, I wouldn't expect much tomorrow. This is your Patriots team the rest of the season. Uh, all right, gentlemen, uh, let's talk some college. Oh, well, actually, before we do that, what am I thinking? Before we talk college football, let's take a look at Sunday's game against the Commanders real quick. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, on paper, this is a game that they could win. I'm not going to say they should win. They're two and six. But this is a game they could win. But Washington is a pretty talented team. And as we saw on Sunday, they ended up losing to Philadelphia 38-31. But they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Eagles. And they led most of that game going into the fourth quarter. So with that said, you know, here we are talking about the fact that, hey, are they going to tank, not tank? How are they going to finish? And we're going to be having that conversation the remainder of this season. But this has gone from a winnable game at the beginning of the year to now it's a toss-up game against Adam Kirchett's favorite team. Yeah, I know. It's That's why I come from the perspective of, like, be careful what you wish for. Because when I was in that area of the country, they were really good. They won three Super Bowls. You know, they had a different quarterback every year, and it all worked. And then – that just fell off, and it's been a steady either decline or a sharp yes. decline. And that goes back to the point we were making earlier. They're another example of another franchise. It's just they haven't been able to find the right guy under center. Bad ownership. I mean, bad ownership. You, yep. you name it, just the worst thing. And you know, I don't know. It's it's it's. But I, I think with this year's team, they actually have a pretty decent roster. Like, they've been picking high for years. They just don't have a, a real stud at quarterback again. Sam Howell's okay. I mean, I'm not, he's, not, he's not terrible, but he's not 
he's also he's not long term. He's answer. not like a top ten guy. He's no. he's he's a good quarterback in college, decent decent talent, but not a stud. Um, so I think in that respect, they have some stuff in common with the Pats roster wise. But I think like you a guy like Chase Young, I mean he's awesome, uh, and they picked him. First or second, second overall. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what a great player he's. You actually, you, he might yeah. not, he might not end up showing up on Sunday though, because there's been talk that they're actively shopping him and Montez Sweat. So, yeah, I saw that. That I don't know. We'll see. But um, I, I do think this is sort of a, a like a an even kind of matchup to sort of see where both teams are. Because I think they both have sort of similar rosters, similar positives and negatives. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how this one plays out. There's a couple of things that worry me on Sunday. One, I should say three things. One, I think the over-under is 39.5, which means Vegas is not expecting this to be a shootout by any means. And we both, as we all know, this offense is, is struggling to score, you know, almost every week. Uh, and you mentioned Sweat and Young. If they are there. Do you guys have any faith that they can stop those two guys? Um, yeah, I they haven't been great this year. Neither well, one of them has. And I, and I will say this. I think Chase Young has been more, more style and hype than substance. He has yeah. not been the player that he was projected to be. And so, yeah, those guys are good, but I'm not like, to quote you, I'm not terrified of them. No, I get it. But I, I still – I do worry about this offensive line in general, though. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up – kind of wrecking the game. The other two things, real quick, Ron Rivera coached teams. Stop saying real quick, dude. Take your time. It's it's your show. When no the, one's we're not rushing to a commercial break. You're good. The Ron Rivera coached teams, the Panthers teams in years past, they've given the Patriots problems. Um if you go back to the Monday night game and I feel like there's one more in there that I'm thinking of. So he's done a good job against Bill Belichick wherever he's really been. So um and then three there's no longer a home field advantage of, of any kind at Gillette Stadium. Um, that place could be empty. It could be dead. Um, if nothing else, teams don't fear coming in here anymore. So no, They um, haven't for years, I don't think. No, but more state, especially this year, it's felt dead there on several occasions, especially that Saints game. Yeah, there's no um, atmosphere. And, no, and look, let's face it, you and I were talking about this when we were leaving a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Even with that win, and I was the one that – got nostalgic, and I was like, oh, it felt a little bit like the old days. But the reality is Tom Brady's been gone four years now. Sometimes we forget that, and it has not been the same from an atmosphere standpoint since he left. No. so The only time there was that atmosphere is when he came back in 2021. Right. So with that all encompassing, yeah, so just kind of everything all encompassing, I don't know why Washington and Field would come in here and feel like they can't win. And on the flip side, how bought into the Patriots still? And again, I know there's still nine weeks left, but they have a trip to Germany hovering over them next week. So um, it's a bad spot. I just don't – I would not be surprised if Washington wins this game. No, I wouldn't be either. Again, when you're 2-6, and six, there's no more gimmies on the schedule. Now you're the team that fans are checking off as a possible win for their team. We're supposed to believe that – Players and teams don't do that, even though they do. But we're supposed to believe that they don't. That being said, yeah, I, I don't think, given the current state of affairs with the Patriots, at best this is a toss-up game. It's a game that can go either way. 
to your point, they could have some issues on the edges with Sweat and Young. They're aggressive. They get after you. Jack Del Rio is not a guy that will sit back. He'll bring pressure. And I think the other thing is offensively, one thing we've seen with this Washington team is they have a pretty good skill group. You, you have Terry McLaurin. You have Curtis Samuel. You have Antonio Gibson. Sam Howell, a quarterback, has got enough pieces. We saw this on Sunday. Jahan Dotson had a big game. They have better skill than the Patriots. I would much rather have their skill group than what the Patriots currently have. So they are more than capable of rolling in here on Sunday and winning and dropping the Patriots to 2-7 and seven ahead of that Germany game against the Colts. It's Look, it is what it is at this point, and I'm with you. It'll be interesting to watch what the stadium looks like from a capacity standpoint as we get into November and December. Now, of course, they're playing there on Sunday, but then they're not playing another home game until December 3rd when the L.A. Chargers come to town. So it'll be interesting to see what their record is at that point and are people still coming to the games because this is the other thing, right? If you're going to brave the elements and sit through a cold-weather game, you better be watching a good team, a team that's winning. You're not going to freeze your ass off to watch a crap product. You're not. And I think what you're going to see more of, and we've talked about this this season, is you're going to start to see people just sell tickets off. They're going to sell off. They're going to be judicious in terms of who they sell them to, but those people that are regulars that go to every home game, you're going to see less and less of them this season. And again, people aren't going to sit there and freeze their tails off to watch a mediocre product. All right, you are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Stone and Kirchin. Just a reminder, if you are in the market to sell your current home or buy your first home, then it's time to give our good buddy Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846. You can also email him at situate.mortgageright.com. Herb and his team are available nights and weekends to help you with over 25 years of experience. Herb truly is one of the best in the business. Take it from me. I'm a realtor. I would know. All right, gentlemen, let's shift over to the college game. Of course, we're going to start with Boston College, who played on Saturday. Stone, you and I were there for their matchup against Holy Cross. And what was a pretty good game? You and I broke it down after the game, but Boston College ended up winning 21-14. The Eagles improved to 5-3. and three. Of course, on Friday night, they traveled to the Carrier Dome. I don't know if we're still even calling it that anymore. To take on the Syracuse Orange. Look, when you look at the score, you think, man, UConn played them tough. Typical BC game this season. It's close. The stat sheet did tell a different story. Boston College dominated the numbers. But the reality is they only won by seven points. I'm of the opinion, and Stone, you and I talked about this on Saturday in our little postgame show. I'm of the opinion that a win is a win. It doesn't matter at this point. On paper, and Kirkson, you and I have said this before, on paper, that UConn team's pretty talented. I wasn't surprised by this score. I never believed that Boston College was going to blow them out. No, it never felt in doubt, right? I mean, even when UConn was driving late, I still felt like BC was in control. See, um, I didn't feel that way. No? Um, no. No, I thought in the fourth quarter, if you had said to me going into the fourth, do you think UConn can win this game? I would have said yes. I got the sense that you felt that way from obviously sitting next to each other. But um, I didn't get that sense, man, just because there was a couple of possessions there in the fourth quarter. They had the ball in midfield at one point, and if it wasn't yeah. for two penalties on three plays, 
who knows what happened. And then, of course, they try to kick the 54-yard field goal. Yeah, but you're right. A win, a win is a win. Halfway talked about a post game and talked about it again today. Look, as you guys both know, winning at any level is hard. Winning four straight games at Division One football, I don't care who you play. It's not easy. Um, and again, Adam, we keep going back to this. Every single week, their losses have been by two and three points. So um, every single game has been close this year, except for Louisville. And now that's starting to feel like an anomaly, right? Like the secondary is playing much better. Um, this team is now a run-heavy, pound-the-ball-down-your-throat team. I think it was 246 again this week on the ground. So that's 300-plus, 300-plus, and almost 250. Um, they have their identity now. Uh, Thomas Castellanos is still not a great all-around quarterback. I think his decision-making and just overall throws definitely need work. But look, we keep saying he's changed that entire dynamic of the program. They're much more confident. Um, so, yeah, it was a good win overall. And, again, they they dominated in every important step. Time of possession, plays ran, um, overall yards. So um, it, it was a good win for them. And credit to UConn for showing up and, and not rolling over when they had a bunch of injuries. So uh, good win overall. Very interested to see what they do against Syracuse this weekend on a short week. Um, today was basically Tuesday there. You could hear the music blasting to try to simulate – noise all the way from the parking garage. So um, they were getting after it. And um, look, if they can win five straight, not only that, but if you get to six wins still with three games left, well, now you take all the pressure off of having to, you know, be bowl eligible the last few weeks. And that's even bigger than, than anything we could have thought of one and three. So a big few weekends coming up for them. And who knows, that Virginia Tech game might mean a whole lot um, next weekend too. Yeah, again, I mean, I feel like I talk about this every week, but I, I love that they have a real running game now. You know, it's 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 actually, I mean, if you're looking at the numbers since 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 it's taken off, they're like one of the best running attacks in the country. They're now 12th I mean, in the country overall. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, if you had told me that this past summer, I'd say I don't care how they get there, fine. That's that's the way. Um. You know, Robichaud has been a, a, a great player for I him. think he's obviously Castellanos, but I think he's probably the biggest reason because Castellanos is an athlete. He's going to make plays when things break down. But I think Robichaud is probably the biggest reason their running game yeah. is so good. And, again, like, this is what I expect a BC team to be like. Tough on defense, run the ball on offense, play action, all that. You know, like, because going back multiple coaches, like, you know, uh, back when they had Tom O'Brien or, uh, you know, guys like that, uh, Tom Coughlin, they were a running football team that played that played off of that with play action. And that, that's most BC, good BC teams can really run the ball. I've never – I can't think of a, a really good BC team that was sort of pass first, pass to set up the run, that sort of thing. Like even, even in Matt Ryan's years, they had – a good running game. And if they can continue to play well running the football. They have a history of good backs to your point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mike I mean, Cloud. I mean, uh, Derek Campbell. Yeah, yeah. Andre Derek Williams. Knight, Derek Knight. Derek uh, Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Derek Knight. I mean, William Green. William Green, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, we could sit here and name for hours. I mean. Yeah, why don't have... we pause the show and do our name that BC running back segment. Here we go. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, 
But I just like the direction that they're going. I think if they can keep this, I mean, Castellano started this whole thing with his running as a quarterback, and he's and it's just you see with so many teams in college football trying to figure out with a drop back passer, and then a running guy comes in and just it, it just looks better, and that's kind of what's happened here. Everything's starting to click. I know twenty one points isn't a lot, but if you can rush for almost two hundred and fifty yards, you're doing something right, and they're doing something right. And to that point too. The offensive line has been phenomenal. We talked about it last week. They've answered every single question. I'm sure you guys have seen the highlight video that's kind of in slow-mo of them absolutely dominating UConn at one on one particular play. And Halfley talked about one guy today. Um, Coach Applebaum deserves a lot of credit. Um, he got absolutely roasted when he originally came back here. He's completely flipped the script and um, done a phenomenal job as well. Yeah, I agree, but I also think getting Logan Taylor and Kyle Hergel helped them, helped them a lot. I mean, Logan Taylor was an all-ACC performer last year. That's that's a really good get in the transfer portal. So, And Jim Mora talked about this after the game, that they looked like a very ordinary team when UConn beat them a year ago. They looked completely different this year, and that's because Halfley went into the portal, and you had a Logan Taylor, you had a Kyle Hergel. They got bigger. They got tougher. They got more experience up front. They blended what they already had with those guys and Trapeo and Kendall. So to me, I think it's 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 a combination of things. I think certainly Applebaum deserves some credit, but I also think they got better. They upgraded the talent, and the portal is going to allow you to do that. And let's face it, Boston College is going to be a destination school in the portal, especially if you're a kid that cares about academics. And they're, they play in the ACC. You're going to get a good education, especially as a grad transfer. And on top of that, especially if you're an offensive lineman, they have a history of producing offensive linemen and getting them to the next level. Look, this was a nice win for them. I don't care that UConn was one and six coming into it. That front seven for UConn is pretty good. If you can run the ball on that front seven the way they did with a guy like Jackson Mitchell, a middle linebacker, he's one of the he's a top 10, top 15 linebacker in the country. If you can run the ball at him, Dalmont, Gordine, McDuffie, Eric Watts, that front's really good. And by the way, Eric Watts might have been the best player in that game. I, I, I really, you know, looking at his potential draft status and what he could be at the next level, I have a feeling, I'm not sure teams are going to love him like they loved Travis Jones a couple of years ago, but I think he is going to test out of his mind and when you look at that 6'5", 275, 280, that frame, with that athleticism, I, I I think he's if he tests like I think he could, I, I think you're talking about a, another potential day two guy. I already think Christian Haynes could be a potential day two pick for them in next year's draft. I would put Eric Watts in that conversation as well. From the UConn side of things, I think to me, again, they, they need to hit the portal hard this offseason. And they need to look at the quarterback position. You're going to lose Haynes. You're going to lose a couple of offensive linemen, Valentin Sen. They got to replace those guys. You're going to have, you're going to have to replace Mitchell, Gordine, McDuffie, Watts up front defensively. I think you're going to see UConn spend a lot of time in the portal. But I think quarterback has to be a position of emphasis. Because talking to the UConn media after the game, and those guys are great, by the way. They're awesome dudes. And they do a great job covering the program. You know, what happens with a Zion Turner? I can't imagine he's happy. 
and I don't want to speculate. I don't want to speak for Zion, but may, who knows if he stays? I you, you don't know. So to me, they're going to have to think about dipping into the portal for that position as well. Even though most of that room comes back next year, uh, it's probably a position that they, they need to address. And I think wide receiver needs to be addressed. Their inability to make big plays on the outside was a problem on Saturday. And and Mora talked about this in his post-game show, a lot of drops. I mean, they've been dropping the football all year. It was an issue once again on Saturday. And again, it's those little plays that you need to make to win a game like that, and they didn't make them. Of course, the biggest story of the weekend was UMass picking up their second win as they went up to West Point and beat the Army Black Knights 21-14. And Look, I know we're not supposed to cheer for the programs we cover, and I know that we're not supposed to be cheerleaders. We're supposed to be professionals, and we are professional, I think. But I'm happy for Don Brown and his staff, man. That was a really nice win for them. I don't give a rat's ass what Army's record is. If you could go on the road, beat an FBS opponent, and you guys know this, the service academies are not easy to beat, especially at their place. Army beat UMass. I think it was two years ago. This is a nice win for them to go on the road and get a win like this. Karon Lynch Adams with over 200 yards rushing. Good for UMass. Hopefully this now, and they got a tough one this week at home against Merrimack. Our Ryan Barry's going to be there. But you hope for Don Brown and the staff that this serves as a springboard for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I feel like um, I had forgotten just how long it had been since they had won more than one game in a season, it goes all the way back to 2018. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time. I mean, it's five years. I, I mean, you can make the argument they've been the worst program in college football. I don't think it's much of an argument. I think, I think you can safely say that. Yeah. I agree. And also, like, football practices and getting ready for football, like lifting and everything. That's not easy work. And when you only have one win or zero wins and that's your life, it is tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough to get get up for those things. It's hard work. And, and I'll say this to your point, Adam. I've coached other sports. I've coached track. I've coached lacrosse. And I enjoyed coaching them. But in those sports, like in lacrosse, you're playing three times a week. You lose on Monday. You come back and you play on Wednesday. You, you practice on Tuesday, fix some of the issues, come back, you play on Wednesday. You could very easily get over that loss if you come back and win on Wednesday. Football is a grind, man. It's once a week. It's a lot of hours. Win or lose, you're in the facility all the time. It's tough. It's not easy. And this is why I think we have to credit Brown for keeping this team together. Yeah, 100%. And look, Don Brown has a ton of fans in the high school coaching ranks that I know of. Everybody I talk to is rooting for him. They like how he deals with their players, whether he offers them or doesn't offer them, or maybe offers a PWO. You know, he, he has so much respect in this part of the state and, and, the, and throughout the whole state, really. So you're happy for Don. You're happy for the UMass players. You know, you're happy for their fans <laughs> who are about as passionate as it comes. Um, so I feel like you know, Karen Lynch Adams had a great game. 234 yards, was it? Um, a great game for him. I always liked him as a back. He just hasn't really broken out to that to that uh, to that level yet. But now he has. 
And um, ho- hopefully this is something they can build on. If they win another two or three games before the end of the season, that'd be huge for them. You know, it's it's just like we said, it's so hard to come and play and work out and practice when you're that bad. And they just got over that little hump. And I, I'm happy for them. Yeah, Adam, you're dead on. And look, you can see how emotional he was in that video post game. You know, Don Brown has had a lot, of su- a lot of success in his career, but to see him that emotional for a second win just goes to show how much he, he's busted his ass and, and how much the coaching staff has busted theirs to get to this point. And look, two wins to outsiders might not seem like much, but that could be a program changer um, in terms of kids wanting to come there and, and play for Don Brown now. Who knows? Um, the other thing, too, is we've talked about the defense all year. That's not easy to hold Army to 14 points. I mean, BC gave up 24. So uh, that's good to see as well that the defense responded to him too. Yeah, you guys are right. It's just it's good to see that their hard work and their commitment to the kids paid off. And now you're right, Adam. They could win four games at least. They still have UConn. They can beat Merrimack. They probably should beat Merrimack. Um, and then, you again, you still have UConn. So if you can get to four wins, we talked about this in the beginning of the year. Two or three was going to be big for them. If you talk four and maybe five, well, now they're they're rolling by by UMass standards. So I'm um, happy for Don Brown. And the other thing, too, is he talked today. Uh, Brian Barry had, a, had the full transcript on our site. Um, he was asked about making sure guys aren't complacent. And he laughed. He said, look, we won two games. So they know there's still plenty more work to do. But um, to get that second win and to hear Brown say, you know, I don't think we're going back now. He might be right. You know, maybe this is a program changer that we've been waiting for for two, three, four, five years now since they won one game. So, yeah, that's a huge day for them and could be happier for that staff. Yeah, and I think, look, four wins for this program, if they can get to that number, would be huge. To Adam's point earlier, they haven't won more than one game in five years. They get to four, that's meaningful progress. And we talked about that at the beginning of the year. There were a lot of UMass fans they kept talking about a bowl bid. Forget about that. It's it's hard to do. What UConn did last year, and Kevin, you Kevin, you talked about this on Saturday, and, and I think it's so well said. When you look at UConn, they skipped a step. This is what they were last year is what they should be this year. And what they are this year, they should have been last year. What UMass is doing, and this is why I think it's so important if you can get to four wins, is you're you're doing it the right way. You're progressing. You get to four and eight, this program all of a sudden with Don Brown, with this staff, it becomes a lot more appealing, especially for guys in the portal. And, yes, I think that the UMass staff has made more of an effort to, to develop and, and, and recruit talent organically through the high school ranks, but I still think they're going to be very active in the portal. And I think that if they can get to four wins, it's going to be a lot easier to sell that to guys because you got a lot of this team back next year. And with and with three or four additions, all of a sudden this is a football team that could be a player next year. Now we can have that conversation. Okay, can this team win six games and be bowl eligible? So I think four wins would be huge for them. Holy Cross picks up a big 49-47 win over Fordham. Never disappoints this game between these two. It's always a fun one. This week was no different than last year. The the, the crazy part is, you know, John, you told me the score when we were doing our post-game show. 
And I just assumed it was another big day for the offense. Matt Sluka probably went off. That's a backup quarterback senior who had never started before that put up 337 yards and three touchdowns. Um, that is a credit to not just recruiting by that staff, but by the kids completely buying in every single day. And offensive he, coordinator Dean Kennedy, who I think has yeah. done a great job in his first year. Yeah, and, and again, it's a, a testament to people buying in to the Chesney way, if you want to call it that. Um, every single person that talked about Joe Pazanski after the game said, you know, he works his ass off every single day, hypes his teammates up. And as a senior especially, to not play for three, four years and then come in basically in a game where your season is on the line. Um, if they lose that game, they're out of everything. You're not winning the Patriot League. You're probably – you're most likely not getting in the FCS playoffs. So not only did he save their season, but he did it after riding the bench. Just an awesome story. Um, the defense still gave up 619 yards, which is crazy um, that they won that game and ultimately had a two-point conversion stop to win it. But, again, it just speaks to the program – and the buy-in under Chesney, and who knows, maybe they're a playoff team now because of this story on Saturday. Yeah, again, um, there's so many different markers that show how good of a coach Chesney is, and this is just another one. Like the backup quarterback comes in and lights it up, um, and the other guys step up around him. Fuller had a good game again uh, at running back. I mean – Governor's Academy product, you know, playing great. Yeah, he has Cross. the – sorry, no, Adam, I just want to say, he now has the all-time rushing TD record at Holy Cross with 38. I mean, it's incredible. And um, Coker's had a great year. You know, it's just – whenever you watch Holy Cross, you marvel at how well they compete. They compete for every inch of grass. And they're just a tough, tough-minded group. That can that can play with basically anybody you put in front of them. They think they can win, and that's just so fun to watch. Uh, and I just I'm very curious to see how the rest of the season plays out for them. Yeah, and, and look, they're five and three. They go to Lehigh on Saturday. That's a winnable game. Lehigh's two and six. They're the Patriots of the Patriot League. But <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things where now you win on Saturday, which you should. You're six and three. They run the table. I think eight and three gets you an at-large bid. I really do. I mean, more than likely, unless Lafayette stubs their toe here in the next couple of weeks, they're probably going to win the Patriot League. But regardless, all you got to do is get into the tournament, like Bill Parcells used to say. You just have to get into the tournament, and the rest takes care of itself. And I think in this case, they can get in. It's a new season. Everybody is starting all over again. Anything is possible. Bryant picked up a big... 47-24 went off over Charleston Southern. Bulldogs improved to 4-4. Four 2-1 and four. Two and one in the Big South OVC. They got a big one on Saturday at home against Gardner-Webb. Bulldogs have a chance to win the uh, Big South here in their final year in the conference. If nothing else, Chris Bryant still has that team locked in. Chris Bryant. Um, Chris, yo, what did I just say? You said Chris Bryant. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Jesus. The outfielder for the Rockies does not coach Bryant. Yeah, no. Um, Chris Merritt's done a hell of a job with them. I can't believe I said that. Um, he's done uh, really, a really good job with that team. Happened. I know, I can too. Um, he's done good, and especially after the way they lost last week or two weeks ago now, you know, that's a that's a big bounce-back game. Um, yeah, that Brown easy. loss earlier in the year could have set them back too. Yeah, 
that's so that's the biggest thing for me with that team is just their willingness to respond um after tough losses on a weekly not a weekly basis but every other week seemingly um you know they haven't been able to really string it together but um yeah if if they can run the table here at the end of the year they'll need it would have been a help i think um i don't have the standings in front of me but if they can go out and win the big south on you know heading into the caa next year that does a world of, of help for recruiting as well um so and even if they don't i still think this program has shown enough and they're doing enough around the program in terms of you know building things and um, really putting money into the program this is going to be a good season no matter what happens the rest of the way for bryant and again that's just a it's an impressive bounce back win after such a difficult loss last weekend yeah it's a good win and again they just it's another team that just competes you know just, you see it in how they play they they want to win every battle that's put out there for them and um i think the future is pretty bright for that program yeah and look that's a program that to me has the potential to become and i'm not this is not hyperbole it has the potential to become what holy cross is now because of what you mentioned kevin the investment that school has invested in football the the facilities they have an indoor facility like they they have what they need there and they're going to get more of what they need there so i think to me if you somehow found a way to win the big south and and get a playoff berth out of it i i think that that would be terrific for this school and it'd be terrific momentum with what you have coming back next year, and they'll have a fair amount back, namely quarterback Zevi Eckhouse, I think when you look at where this program is at right now, it's in a really good spot. And like I said, I think they have the potential to eventually morph into a Holy Cross caliber kind of program down the road because I think the support is there. The commitment to the facilities is there. And I don't think people understand how important that is in today's football world. Facilities matter. And they matter to kids. And, and look, no one's going to dispute the Bryan education. You're going to get a good, good education. You're minutes away from Providence. You know, you're 35, 40, 45 minutes away from the beach. Like, it's a desirable school. But I think the facilities are what's going to put them in, at that next level and I think is going to make them an instant contender in the CAA. All right, let's do the whip around here real quick before we – Move on to the final segment of the show. Ivy League Brown goes on the road Friday night and beats Penn 30-26. to Big win for James Perry's team coming off a bad loss at Cornell. That's two years in a row now that the Bears have beaten the Quakers. Uh, two and two in the Ivy League with the five other teams. They're right in the mix. And uh, with that offense, they if they hadn't lost to Harvard, they could potentially be a favorite. Uh, still a game behind Princeton and Harvard, but they're hanging around. Yeah, I think this this program keeps making strides under Perry. Um, I think he's going to have them even better next year. They've recruited really, really well locally, especially at the quarterback position. They have not been shy about identifying quarterbacks locally that they like, offering them and securing their commitment. Obviously, the education speaks for itself, but they're doing a really, really good job of recruiting locally. I mean, we all know the kind of year Jake Wilcox is having. How about tight end Mark Mahoney? He is having a tremendous year, a breakout year, and now he's looking like a guy that down the road is either going to be drafted as a day three guy potentially or he gets a preferred walk-on opportunity. The size, the ball skills, the athleticism is there. He's had a terrific year. And, of course, Wes Rocket, Graham Walker, 
They have one of the best skill groups in the Ivy League. Yale beat Columbia 35-7. Much-needed win for Tony Reno squad. Brown and Yale play this Saturday. We'll have that game covered for you. Uh, and then Harvard beat Dartmouth 17-9. It was one of the bigger rivalry games in the Ivy League. Of course, it was an emotional game for Harvard head coach Tim Murphy, his good friend Buddy Tevens, who passed away earlier this fall, uh, obviously was not in attendance. They did a video tribute to Tevens and the relationship that he had with Coach Murphy, and they were good friends for a long time. Uh, this is a big game for both programs every year. Uh, Harvard was able to scratch and claw and, and pull one out coming off that loss against Princeton. Yeah, and congrats yeah. to Coach Murphy becoming the all-time uh, wins leader for the Ivy League. I think the number is 136. In, in typical in typical Murphy fashion, um, credited every player, every coach yeah. he's Why ever had. Yeah, yeah, he's he's awesome. And um, I, I said this the other day, you will not find a more humble or nicer guy in football in New England and probably in the country to coach than Coach Murphy. So um, congrats to him and well-deserved. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Murphy's a class act. Um, and I think that Harvard's still the best team in the Ivy League, I think, even though they've got got a loss. Um, it's, it's, it's a crazy year in the Ivy League. Every year it's crazy in the Ivy League, but uh, I really do think Harvard's still the best team. Yeah, looking at the CAA, what a game on Saturday down at Mead Stadium between URI and UNH. URI winning in overtime. 34-28, big win for Jim Fleming's squad. Still probably a long shot. They'd have to win out to get an at-large playoff berth, but this is a big win for them, and this was a big loss for UNH. Their chances of getting an at-large playoff bid took a major hit, and now they look slim to none as well. Yeah, yeah they're, I, now out of the top, sorry, they're now out of the top 25. And, um, you know, we talked about Chris Merritt getting his team to play after bounce-back losses. What a job by Jim Fleming, especially after the last two, you know, two weeks for URI, getting that team up, getting them ready to go and getting them ready for a rival that ultimately had a lot more to play for than URI did. So, um, so impressive what they did. And who knows, maybe they find a way to squeak in if, if they win impressively enough down the stretch. But even if they don't, um, that's, that's a hell of a win, given the way they looked the last two weeks. Yeah, I agree. No matter what happens, they'll have this win. I mean, it's one of those things like with URI, you see how good they are when they put it together, right? I mean, like when they put it together, they can play with just about anybody in the FCS. They're so talented. They've got so much speed. Um, so this this shows them and everybody that, that look, when they, when they put their mind to it and when they play well, they can beat just about anybody. And I think uh, UNH found that out. And, of course, Maine hosted Albany on Saturday. Great Danes are pretty good this year. They ended up beating the Black Bears 37-21. The offense got off to a good start. They had their moments. But, man, that Maine defense has really struggled the last five weeks. They're a shell of what they were at the beginning of the year. It's funny. The defense played well the first three weeks of the year. The offense struggled the first three or four weeks of the year. Offense turns it on, but the defense has not been the same. Derek Robertson, who's been one of the best quarterbacks in the region this season, 29 to 43, 220, three touchdown passes, two picks. But nonetheless, another tough loss for the Black Bears. The Black Bears on Saturday have Hampton that will come to town. They visit Orno on Saturday. UNH hosts Villanova. URI 
has a bye. So they will host North Carolina AT&T on November 11th at uh, Meade Stadium. And, of course, a new scoreboard is expected to be unveiled at Meade Stadium. So that will be a huge addition. The one thing I love seeing is the state of Rhode Island is putting some money to that facility. That's awesome because what it says is they're finally serious about this football program. It's been a long time coming. URI football, as much as URI basketball has been the bigger program down there, URI football matters to a lot of people, a lot of alumni. So it's nice to see that they're putting that money into the school. Uh, NEC real quick, Merrimack loses to St. Francis. Stonehill loses to Wagner. Uh, Central Connecticut State, bad 24-23 loss to LIU. And Sacred Heart lost to Duquesne, 27-0. Needless to say, not a good weekend for the four teams locally in the NEC. Yeah, we talked about that being wide open. It's not wide shut. Um, I think that's Duquesne. Um, I think that's there. That's over. That race is over, I think, unless something very weird happens the next three weeks. Just a disappointing year, particularly for Merrimack, I think. They had such high expectations, and um, yes, they've had a rash of injuries, but um, disappointing year for Curran's, for uh, Dan Curran's squad. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, you know, sometimes you get a little bad momentum and it takes a life of its own, and they just couldn't get out of that cycle uh, this year. It's sort of, and, and I think the stuff. other problem with them is they need to figure it out at quarterback. And this isn't a knock on Gavin McCusker or whoever else is there, but they've got to find a way to add a couple of receivers that have the ability to make big plays, maybe bring in another veteran quarterback through the portal. They need to find a way to make more big plays on offense because while their running game has been very good all year, their inability to throw the football and balance things up has been a problem for the Warriors. Yeah, McCusker broke his collarbone. So um, that, that's I think that happened in game one, game two. So they've had, they've been behind the eight ball all year. But to your point, they just seemingly every year they're they're struggling to find offense. Yeah. No, I agree. And in terms of the other programs, Stonehill had the big win against Sacred Heart. Unfortunately, they got off to a good start on Saturday against Wagner, but they couldn't parlay that into a win. For Central Connecticut State, you pick up a big road win the week before, and then you come back home. And, of course, they were on national television on Thursday night against LIU, who, let's face it, is not a great program. I mean, they're, they're probably the worst program in the NEC right now. And to lose that game the way they did, that's tough because this program has shown tremendous progress under Adam Lechtenberg. And I think that CCSU is on its way back. I mean, people forget how good they were for a long time in the NEC. I think they can get back to that level, but you got to win games like this because had they won this game, now all of a sudden they're four and four. They're in the mix in the NEC. Unfortunately, they didn't get it done. All right, gentlemen, final segment of the night. We are going to talk some high school football. Of course, the MIA, the Massachusetts Interscholastic Athletic Association. Some people call that last day something else, but we're going to refrain from using that on these airwaves because we're pros. You're real pros. We're pros. Um, just some thoughts on the brackets. Pretty interesting in all eight divisions. Just some overall thoughts and some potential first-round matchups that you're looking forward to. Um, I first want to talk about Everett not making the Division One postseason. Is this going to be a soapbox moment? Because I'm no, here. no. I mean, I mean, oh, come on, get on your soapbox. No, I, I just 
You're too nice. I, Kirk. Feel, I, feel, really I, mean, I know they. I know they had a, a big portion of their schedule that was not competitive, and you know, say what you want. I feel like they did enough. I've got them as like the number ten or eleven team in my statewide poll. I think they're that. Like, I think they're a good team. I think they beat a lot of the teams that did make the D1 state tournament. And I think there's a lot of the, a lot of the ratings I agree with. But that's a big miss, in my opinion, that there's no spot forever. I just it, – it, it, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't. So how do you fix it? I mean, I, I think I to me there's only one way to fix it if you're them. you, you got to beef up the schedule next year. Well, you know, you, well, what they would have to do is only play some of the league's schedule and not all of it. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe the rest of the league is better next year. Who, you know, what do you do? Um, so I don't know. Um, looking at the brackets, D1 is very interesting because St. John's prep is on the other side of both Zavarian and Springfield, uh, central for the other two sort of favorites. So you're probably going to have not to jump ahead, but you're probably going to have St. John's prep against either Zavarian or Springfield central at Gillette. You know, if everything goes to plan, or we'll see. Um, and again, what I like about D two, King Philip one, CM two, they will be on the opposite sides of the bracket again. That's yeah, they'll play for the third straight year. Yeah, no, I, no I, disrespect to the other teams in the bracket, but chances, um, chances are, yeah. chances are, because you never know. It's high school football; anything can happen. I love, um, I love the D three bracket. That's probably my favorite tournament is D three, because you got a lot of good programs. But at the same time, you don't have a dominant team in that bracket. There's not one team that's head and shoulders above everybody. There's no, you know, like dominant squad. So you're going to see a lot of competitive one-score games, and I think that'll be a lot of fun. The game that I'm kind of looking forward to there is you got North Attleboro, the ninth seed, at West Springfield, the eighth seed. West Springfield's undefeated out in Western Mass. North Attleboro, very a very good program, great program um, that is like sort of, you know, had some tough losses this year. That's a fun intersectional game. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I think in, in, in D4, Duxbury's the favorite, the, the top seed. Um, D5, I think they did a great job again because your top three seeds, Hanover, Foxborough, and Shawsheen, those are probably the three best teams there too. So, you know, for as much as I don't like what happened to Everett, the ratings really did seem to work for a lot of other spots. And so, um, so yeah, but again, everything, I just can't get over it. Uh, I'm going to start positive and go negative. Um, nice. I love that it's a statewide tournament. I hate the idea that teams are under 500 competing for a Super Bowl yep. when there are teams over 500. And there's, I believe, five of them in D2, either four or five of them. I'd have to look at it. So just like one personal um, kind of one for me, I think it's Division 8. Quabbin went five and three. Head coach Wayne Page, I know very well. Um, if you, how do you explain to your kids at five and three that you're not good enough to compete when teams that are three and five are in? The, are, are in? It's just, it's asinine. Something has to change. Um, I also hate that it completely ruins Thanksgiving. This is a soapbox type thing for me. I've said it for years now. Thanksgiving was has always been, in my opinion, at least the best day of the year around here, and it's just not anymore. And it's because of these playoffs. Um, this playoff system, 
like especially when you have seniors that aren't playing because maybe they're sitting for a Super Bowl. But um, just in terms of the matchups, Adam, you mentioned one eight nine in particular. I think almost every eight nine and ten seven is an awesome matchup. Um, like this weekend, I'll be at Wellesley and Belmont. Belmont is a team that hadn't won a league title since 1964, um, and they're now in. So those kind of stories, those are cool to see. Um, and again, look, we we all enjoy this this next three weeks or four weeks, but it's just, again, it's not right that there are teams that are under 500 competing for a title when teams that are better than them are not, and something has to be done. But overall, we'll enjoy it like we always do. We'll, you know, we'll cover the crap out of it, and um, Joette will be fun, although – Three days of Super Bowls is pretty outrageous too, but yep. Um, yep. overall, it it'll be another uh, another fun postseason. And I get it; most likely, the best team or best teams will be playing at Gillette, but it's still not right, and it's still not perfect, and needs to change. Couldn't agree with you more, my friend. I I, I agree wholeheartedly, and I and I think look, there's some great matchups: Methuen, Natick, Adam. You mentioned West Springfield, North Attleboro, among the matchups that uh, we're looking forward to this weekend. But you have four teams in Division Two that are three and five. You've got your 16 seed in Diamond Vogue playing an undefeated King Philip team on Friday night. Okay? Um, that's all I'm going to say. D- don't lecture me. And there are a lot of people out there, even people in the media, okay, that love to lecture people who question this system. So you mandate that you need to win three games to get in. First of all, that's a joke because you play eight. So the fact that a team only has to win three to get in is ridiculous. And then on top of that, you you leave teams out, like you mentioned, Quabbin. Everett is it's criminal that Everett at seven and one didn't get in. That is criminal to me. And so is this better than we what we used to have? Yes, it is. Because what we used to have wasn't fair. That was even worse because then you had 10 and one teams staying at home. You had to win your league to to, to play for a title. But to me. This system, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna support the Connecticut plan, fine, don't. But we got to make this better. You you can't have seven and one teams, and it's more than Everett, by the way. There's a bunch of other seven and one, six and twos that that are staying at home. You can't you can't ask these kids to work their tails off in the winter, in the spring, go to seven on sevens, do the northeast seven on seven, go through training camp, do all these things. And then you have this this messed up system that screws them over and they don't get to play for a state title. That, to me, is ridiculous. And it needs to be fixed. And I don't want to hear bullshit excuses from the MIAA. I don't want to hear bullshit excuses from people who defend this system. Fix it. Because right now what we're doing is criminal. That that, That a program like Everett, with their history, their tradition, a program that in our poll has been a top 10, top 12 program all season, is on the outside looking in. You are punishing Coach Flores and those kids because they play in the GBL? How's that fair? It's not fair. It's not fair to those kids. It's not fair to any program that gets that has to sit at home with a winning record because of this system. I'm sorry. Don't give me this power ratings and power rankings bullshit and play a better schedule and all this other nonsense. Yeah. Figure it out. Which yeah, is why I, I go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. Like, what is happening is you're saying, well, ever you didn't play a tough enough schedule. Okay, well, what about those 
teams that play in a better league, quote unquote, that don't have as good a record. But and, and if they played Everett, they'd lose. But it's if you're valuing just being in a tougher league, you know, and like look, they beat BC High. BC High made it, but BC High I lost mean, it. So, so that that result doesn't really count. You're saying, okay, that result beating BC High did nothing to help Everett, even though they got a good, exciting, great win. If it doesn't matter, then why would they schedule them anyway? Because it, you, you didn't get the result that you want. They beat them, and it still d- didn't result in them making the tournament. It's just, you know, it's to me, something has to be done because the, the, you're valuing schedule strength over how good the team actually is. And well, then, and then on top of that, the whole fourteen point thing—you got to beat somebody by fourteen or more points. I talking to coaches, they hate it. They hate that. They hate that aspect of this system. That needs to be done away with because I think I, I it, it's making coaches have to run it up in order to 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 factor it into their numbers. It's just ridiculous. And then even when you look at like most of these one sixteen matchups aren't terrible, I suppose. But again, do we really need this many teams making this thing? I mean, we have watered it down so much now. 16 teams. We have eight divisions. People laugh at us in other parts of the country because we have eight divisions. And then they think it's even dumber than we put 16 teams per division in our tournament. People used to laugh at us. I was watching some of my old ESPN Boston stuff that I had saved on an old YouTube page. And I think I remember 10 years ago in 2013, I was on with Scott Barboza and Brendan Hall. And those guys, Adam, you would know, we both worked with them. They did a tremendous job. But I think I remember Scott saying, today we crowned 19 state champions. I mean, 19 state champions. What the F are we doing here? Like, and and I feel like we're still stuck in that quagmire where we're just, it's, it's, it's a participation tournament. Oh, you went 500? Oh, come on in. Oh, you went three and five? Come on in. Like, I this is I don't support the Connecticut plan because I want to extend the football season. I support the Connecticut plan because to Kevin's point, it would make Thanksgiving important again because it's, in my opinion, and, and this isn't a knock on other sports, I love lacrosse. I coach lacrosse for years. I love the game, okay? I'm not knocking other sports, but it's the biggest regular season game day of the school year. There's not a bigger regular season day of games on the sports calendar. And schools rely on that money still. And I don't care what people say. If it's a beautiful morning, people are going to go to the game in their respective communities. So it would make Thanksgiving important again, and it would get rid of this watered-down tournament that rewards mediocrity. And, And again, I know People in Central Mass and Western Mass are opposed to it. I don't care what the winter coaches think. I'm not even – I know that people have been putting a lot of stock in that. Good. I don't care what they think. What I'm saying is, from a football community standpoint, we got to fix this. Because if we don't want the Connecticut plan, fine, then don't do it. But tweak this. Tweak this. Because a 7-1 and one team in Division One should not be staying at home. We're no different than we were 15 years ago where you had to be a league champion in order to get in. Any other thoughts? <laughs> no, and, and just to the Everett point, for an organization that loves money and 
and loves revenue. You're telling me you don't want Everett and, and Gillette Stadium? Like they wouldn't travel if they happen to get there? Like it's it's insane. So um, for me, the biggest thing is thanks, Thanksgiving is the biggest thing for me. Um, I, I, again, I have a huge problem with if you're a senior, that's supposed to be the day around here. And great, if your team happens to be in the Super Bowl, that's awesome. But you don't want to go take the field on Thanksgiving morning? Get out of here. So um, it's an issue. But again, we're going to cover it, and we'll, we'll, we'll be in Gillette for, for three straight days. And I do think usually you do get the two best teams in each division, um, as much as eight divisions is absurd. So I think the Super Bowl matchups will ultimately be fine. But again, it's just it's an asinine system. Yeah, as much as I criticize, I still love this postseason. It's so much fun. There's going to be a lot of great performances, a lot of great players, a lot of great teams, and uh, there'll be some amazing games. I think this, you know, I think each division has its own bit of intrigue to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun these next few weeks. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm glad you mentioned this too as well, Stone. The three days at Gillette is absurd. It really is. I think you keep the games there. I think it's an awesome experience for the kids. I've been fortunate enough to coach and cover them there, but you, is a kid going to get up to play a, a three o'clock state title game on a Wednesday afternoon? I mean, come on, it, it's just. And what are you doing? What are you doing to that kid's parents or that or the fan base who now has to leave work in rush hour and try to get to Gillette to see, ideally, their kid's biggest moment? So again, something else. Well, they don't think happening. about that. What they think about is what works. Uh, for the crafts and what works for them. They don't really actually think about the people that are the whole reason why anybody would go. Uh, why would you think of them? All right, gentlemen, uh, any final thoughts overall now that we're done chopping up this system and spitting it out? No, I'm looking forward to covering the games this weekend. Um, I do. I love the playoffs and um, we'll be at college games as well. And uh, God help us to that stadium on Sunday, but um, it's the best time of the year for us. Yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. There's going to be so many good games. I can't wait. Yeah, of course, the playoffs also start in New Hampshire and Rhode Island. Connecticut still has a couple weeks to go here. Uh, playoffs started in Vermont last weekend. Uh, Class A kicks off in Maine this weekend. So the playoffs, for the most part, are going to be kicking off in earnest this weekend. And, of course, if you want some of the best coverage in New England, some of the best football coverage in New England, then make sure you visit anyfootballjournal.com. If you haven't subscribed, well, go on and click that subscribe button. I know that seems to be the line that everybody uses when they're trying to ask people to subscribe, but we really would appreciate your business. This is a busy time of the year for us. This is our passion. We genuinely enjoy delivering the content to you guys. And for us, the more people that subscribe, that enables us to cover more games and bring you more content. So if you could go on to anyfootballjournal.com, go over and click on the subscribe link. Going for $2.99 a month, you're going to get the best coverage in the area, top to bottom, best football coverage. We know you have a lot of great options with the Patriots. We know you have some options with college. We know you have some options with high school. But overall, we're all football all the time. Nobody does it like us. It's year-round. There's no winter or spring season for us, folks. This is what we do 365. So please go over to anyfootballjournal.com and subscribe today. We would appreciate your business. All right, well, that'll do it for this week's show. For Kevin and Adam, I'm John Serenitas. Till next week, peace. See you.